I'm Sean J. Kennedy, and this is Backstage at the Enharmonic. Today's guest is drummer, author, and historian Daniel Glass. I'm very happy to welcome him back to the podcast because he was a guest back in 2018 where we did a deep dive and talked about his career. Today's episode, though, is about his brand new, incredible recording, the Daniel Glass Trio, BAM! Throughout the interview, we go track by track and we talk about the recording. I give Daniel some of my impressions as a listener and fan, and then he fills in some of the gaps with the -the behind-the-scenes stuff that made the recording possible for all of us to enjoy. So if you're familiar with it, you're going to have a much deeper understanding of the music. And if you haven't listened to it yet, hopefully this interview prompts you to go get a recording today. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest, Daniel Glass. Daniel Glass, welcome back to Backstage at the Enharmonic. I'm so glad to uh, be able to spend some time with you today talking about your new album. Thank you, brother. It's always a pleasure when I get a chance to see you and talk with you, which is usually only once a year. Uh, in person anyway at the uh, right. Delaware drum show we always see each other and we hang a bit but, yep and that's where the uh, this uh, podcast came from the inspiration because we finally um, some of the COVID restrictions have been lifted and we all got to see each other live again and when we were catching up on the past couple years of isolation you mentioned that your new uh, album was coming out and it's here and uh, I've been listening to it um, on various streaming platforms uh, driving in my car listening on my headphones and it's just unbelievable and uh, before I let you talk about the album, I just want to let you know a couple of things that I think about it, and then we can dig deep into the album. So uh, first listening, really impressive, but it's one of those things you have to keep going back and listening to again to get deeper and deeper. And I kept going, what is drawing me back to this album? Uh, because I don't know if you have this, that experience, but you'll play something, and then you need to go back and listen to something again. Yeah, That's what this album has done for me, and I think if I boil it down to its single element that makes me go back to it, you've done what I think every jazz musician wants to do. It sounds like you. Your performance sounds like Daniel Glass. And here's what I mean uh, for the listeners out there. Um, my interpretation of that, uh, I've known Daniel for a long time and have used his resources, have been lucky enough to become friends with him and talk to him. And I can hear a deep reverence for the music in your playing. Uh, I hear joy with you and the other two guys playing, and I feel it's deeply rooted in the past, but moving forward, and I think that encompasses you, and that's what I hear through uh, the entire performance. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you. I I would I I won't dispute any of that. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I, I, I think uh, I I would agree. Um, thank you. Yeah, I I I feel all of those things. Um, I, I am a traditionalist, you know, I'm into the history and uh, I have a lot of respect for that. But at the same time, um, I, I feel like if, if I only spend my time doing that, I'm not being true to the fact that I also love a lot of other music and I'm, I want to do more modern stuff. I want to be here in the 21st century and I want to play that kind of music. Um, and when you mentioned the interaction with the guys, that really is a big part of why we decided to move forward with this project is that the, the way I talk about it, it's sort of like three little kids who find each other in the sandbox and the world sort of stops. And you're just so into having fun and being in the moment 
and playing and whatever happens, happens. Uh, you don't worry about the future or what the end result is going to be. You're just really in the moment with it. And I think for those of us that play jazz, um, it's, you know, it's hard to to be in that space. Uh, that's what we're trying to get to, obviously, whenever we play. And that's our goal is to be in that space of truly being in the moment. But it's it doesn't always work. And a lot of times when there are professional concerns, if you're on a, a gig and, you know, you've got to fulfill certain obligations, either to dancers or to the audience, or if you're backing a singer or you're playing to a certain kind of an audience, you know, then those things get in the way. And I feel like with these two guys, we just have this great rapport musically. And we'll, we kind of try to, that's our musical mission is to get to that kid in the sandbox space every time we play. Now, you know, sometimes, you know, generally it happens, but that's the goal. And you know, that's what a lot of people said is that there's a real joy because we're just totally riffing on each other and listening to each other and playing off each other. And that's our thing, you know, when we get together and play. So I'm glad you picked up on that. Thank you. And uh, for the listeners out there, I should do more buzz marketing. We are talking specifically about the Daniel Glass album called BAM. So that's what you should be checking out. And that's what this whole thing is about. It's basically the Daniel Glass trio is, the, is the, if you look it up on the social media and stuff, uh, or, okay. uh, streaming platforms, Daniel Glass trio. But yeah. Um, so yeah. The, another thing I noticed too, uh, which was absolutely refreshing, is that we have so much technology available now uh, to nitpick in uh, different, um, you know, digital audio workstations and get things, move it here, move it there. But it sounds like, I don't know if you did any editing at all. It sounds like you guys set up mics and said, let's play it. And that's what you did. So it sounded absolutely organic when I listened to it, everything. That's, I mean, we did edit um, between takes on a couple of the tracks, but that was about it. That was really the only editing. Nothing was replaced. Nothing was changed. Um, mm -hmm. Nothing was moved. You know, we just found the takes that were happening or, you know, cut between a couple of takes oh yeah, here are the bridge, move, go use this other tape. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's really like a walk on the tightrope, go for it experience and hope that you get out on the other side, you know? Perfect. Also like what I love, very challenging, right? I mean, oh, yeah. you know, to, to completely be improvising, not knowing where you're going and hope to pull it off and, and come out at the end of the tune. That's That's what the challenge is and that's what the, also the you know and i mean we can help each other if we're if we're listening and something starts to go in some direction we can pull each other back and and so that that happens as well okay mm -hmm. it's not like he's so i'm gonna ground it here and hopefully then he'll he'll it'll, it'll yeah pull back, you know so but i feel like it's it's that way with with friendships you know you're there for each other everybody's talking but also everybody has the ability to be empathic and listen and again that sometimes when you're playing jazz isn't the case, right? Especially mm -hmm. for other drummers, you know, a lot of times people look at us as, um, well, you're here to support me. What you do is a company and I'm the star, you know? And okay, you know, ideally it wouldn't be that way. But to me, the best experiences is where everybody's on unequal footing in the conversation and mm -hmm. there is truly a conversation. And it doesn't yep. matter what instrument you're on, you're, you're seen as being valid uh, and you're... Um, you know, your opinion is taken into consideration. Everyone's listening, everyone's conversing. Uh, and again, exactly. 
the joy of live music, you know, that's that's why it's exciting to see live music because this sounds like live music. Because I always tell my students, would you go to a baseball game if you knew what the score was going to be at the end? No, it's the excitement of getting to the end, you know, going on that journey. And uh, speaking of a journey, the your track listing, um, I have notes here. I've written down about every track. Um, it's, it's definitely a journey going through this thing. So I'm going to name the tune. I'll give you some of my observations, and then maybe you can tell the listener a little bit more about the tune from your end. Amazing. Okay. So Bolivia. Um this track, uh, first track on my streaming platform. So hopefully it's the actual first track. Um, so Bolivia, I love the count off in the beginning. It's so cool. A lot of times that, you know, you get rid of that stuff, different artists, but it's, I was right there in the moment with the count off. And um, I just thought it was a great opening track. Now, did you use a click on that or was it just feel? No, there's no click on any of this. Fantastic. Um, the, uh, the, the count off left in was a total mistake. Uh, when when we mastered it, he never removed the count off. And so being that it was the first track on the album, I was like, let's leave the count off in. It's like, let's count <laughs> off this album, you know? So yeah, I'm glad that, that you caught that. Um, and uh, what I love about that is that it, it's, it's rooted in that bass line. It's kind of funky, you know, mm -hmm. more of a groove. Uh, and you always go back to that vamp after every solo section, you go back to that vamp. And so what we we've always played Bolivia. I should say that just very quickly, this group came together because they were the house band that I put together for my jazz intensives. I, I did for four years here in New York, a jazz intensive where people came and studied and they would play with a New York trio, you know, and uh, these guys would help educate as well as as perform. Uh, and so. Through that, I then started hiring them for little corporate -y things I would get or small gigs. We never really gigged out as a group. Hmm. Um, but during the pandemic, it was sort of like we had wanted to. We'd want to turn this into a project. But we we're all so busy as freelancers and doing our own thing that it was it just there was never the right time. So the pandemic was kind of the time I said, OK, I'm going to helmet. I'm going to put it under my name and pay for it and take the reins. Mm -hmm. And um we made this record and I didn't even really know what I was going to do with it. It wasn't until December of last year that I connected with this small label called club 44 out of Nashville who have been recording a lot of the New York cabaret artists that I work with. So I did about three or four albums for them with other artists, got to know them. And my question to them was, I have a fully completed album. Um, but I'm just wondering if you know of any labels that might be into putting it out, because I thought their label just dealt with cabaret singers. And they were like, well, actually, our, you know, our mission is to also put out instrumental jazz. So do you want to put your record on our, on our label? And that began this nice relationship. And by then, we had a four month window because we had the release event coming up at Birdland and they had a lot of stuff to do. Um, we have good distribution, digital distribution through Virgin. And uh, there's a lot of it take to release a record in, in this day and age to do it properly, which, you know, most of us as artists who just put something out, we're not aware of. And that's why I went with these guys I had a game plan, you know, which mm -hmm. mostly. Don't. So in any case, all of that kind of came to pass. And um, uh, so Bolivia, though, we've, I've been playing with these guys since the very beginning. And it's one of our go-to tunes. We just have so much fun with it. And every time we go back to that vamp, we try to mess with the vamp and see <laughs> how far we can take it out. And we do it, you know, with the drum trades and, and everything else. So it's a 
it's essentially a fairly simple song. It just has two parts, you know, that, that go back and forth. One part being a repetitive vamp. Um, and it's a, it's one of those tunes. It's easy for us to get into the sandbox. We could do it like without right. thinking too much about it. So. Well, it's great, great opener, man. I love it. All right, let's get to the next tune. It could happen to you. Um, you had me at brushes on this one. Um, I'm like, <laughs> yes, yeah, so I love brushes. And uh, I think you did snare off when you played brushes. Probably. Okay. Um, there so tell was us about a that number track. of a number of years, probably ten years, where I never played ever with the snares on when I played brushes. Mm -hmm. I always played with the snares off because I love all the kind of woody overtones and things you can get without any rattle of the snares. Maybe the last eight years, I've now experimented more with leaving the snares on when I play brushes and maybe going back and forth. But um, what's fun about that is actually an arrangement um, done by a friend of mine who I used to play with a lot in LA, a guy named Elda Tarmu. And um, he designed that arrangement specifically to feature the drums. You know, it's, mm. it's one of the few kind of standards on the record. And so um, I figured it, would, it just would be a nice uh, palate cleanser after the opener. Yep. To go to like a brush tune and a more traditional kind of a jazz standard. But it definitely lets me show off on the brushes. Yeah. Love that, man. Always love the brushes. Yeah. The next tune, talking about bringing it down. Now we kind of changed feel a little bit and the vibe with and lost. Very subdued type of thing. Uh, tell us about that tune. Um, it's it's an original from the guitar player who is, his name is Sean Harkness. He is one of my favorite guitar players in New York long before I ever put a group together with him. He's one of these guys that isn't that well known at, outside of, you know, he's a working musician and he does a lot of gigs as a sideman, but he is such a phenomenal player and composer. So this, I want to include the other guys, um, their originals and do arrangements with them. So it really is a group vibe. It's not just me, you know, even though my name is on it. Uh, and this tune and lost, he is just beautiful and moody and allows me again, staying with the brushes to really get, play a lot of colors um, and create, it's a real mood piece. So you, you might say, but um, it, it's, it isn't, Again, it's kind of, we really do our thing. And one of the things we worked out is that I would take a solo over the form. So each each member solos the form, but over a ballad or ballad tempo, having the drummer solo is very unusual. And one of the things that, that we've kind of worked on is that sometimes a solo isn't necessarily just a solo. So they're trying to interact with my solo while I'm soloing. So we're still, you know, it isn't just, oh, drums by themselves. It's always what is ha what's happening here and how can we interact with that and and we'll i'll point that out in a few of the other tunes because as you may have noticed this isn't a record full of drum solos i mean there there's a few spots where i i i'm either featured or i um i have like i'm soloing over a, a vamp you know there's a couple of the other tunes where that happens but it's almost you know i i really like this idea of that whoever's soloing it's still that conversation so it doesn't feel like Okay, now it's your solo. Now it's your solo. Now it's your solo. That's yeah. very typical jazz thing. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. And uh, to dovetail on that, speaking of guitar, we get to the tune that caught my eye when I first saw the track listing, "Smoke on the Water." I'm like, yeah. "What? Jazz trio, <laughs> exactly. smoke in the water?" And uh, so, guitar-wise, the guitar gets fuzzier. It gets a little more aggressive. 
you know, yeah, it's more than Schofield to me. Yeah, yeah. It like this journey. It's like an like the entire album. If you listen in order, I think it evolves. It goes through. Maybe not evolve because it's not improving. It's just changing. It's, yeah. it's continually changing. And uh, if if my uh, notation skills are correct, I think you're waltzing this, and it's like hemiola heaven at times. So tell us about anything you want about smoke on the water. <laughs> well, okay. So a couple of points to be made. Number one, um, we we you know, we all grew, grew up as rockers, right? And most of the people of my generation did not start out playing jazz. Some did, and some have grown up in jazz families or, you know, but I grew up playing rock, never even thought about jazz, wasn't interested in jazz. It took me a number of years to come to jazz and to fall in love with jazz and to then really try to figure that out on its own terms. But at the same time, um, I, I none of us have, in the group have lost our affinity for rock. And um, on a personal note, Deep Purple was my first like favorite band when I really got into music when I was nine. Ian Pace is my first favorite drummer. And I set up left-handed because I looked at him and I said, oh, he must be left-handed, I'm left-handed, so I'm gonna set up the way he does. You know, So I just, that I, I'm inspired. By the same token, Smoke on the Water has become one of those songs that's like a caricature of itself. It's like, um, you know, Freebird or Stairway to Heaven or one of these, where like no self-respecting musician would actually play it because it's a joke, right? <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's like, you know, more cowbell or whatever. It's just become <laughs> this stupid musical joke that's not even funny. So what was interesting was we were doing a little corporate event and the guitar player came in and he just started playing Smoke on the Water. And we started jamming on it and doing our, our thing with it. And we we're like, oh, that was fun. But I also, I love playing in three. Three is maybe my favorite time signature. Um, and uh, there's a particular Pat Metheny tune called Question and Answer that is, um, there's a spectacular 14 minute version of it on uh, this Pat Metheny trio record that he did maybe 15 years ago with Bill Stewart and Larry Grenadier. It's a great trio. And I like Pat Metheny's more acoustic side anyway, is, is, is less his more produced poppy side is of less interest to me than his acoustic stuff. Anyway, I kind of put smoke on the water and question and answer together in my brain. And we came up with this arrangement for smoke in the water. And I think one of the things that is cool about it is that it will hopefully draw people. Cause you're going to go, what, you know, what kind of a goofy version, <laughs> kitschy version of smoke in the water is this going to be? And then you listen to it and you realize it's like a really awesome reimagining that mm -hmm. almost, is its own song. It's so different yet kind of pays tribute to smoke on the water, but we really bring our own thing with it. And that's what I'm proud of. And so, you know, nobody really has singles these days, but we did release Bolivia and smoke on the water as our first two singles. I think number one, because hopefully it'll bring a lot of people to, to, you know, to check out the joke factor, but then, when hopefully when you heard it, your reaction was, wow, this is actually really interesting. And the song kind of stands up on its own. And mm -hmm. it is a tune that fits with the rest of the material, you know? So that's the story there. Um, and it's one of my favorite songs to play with the band, not because I'm thinking about Deep Purple. I'm just thinking about, oh, I get to play this up-tempo thing. And the rhythms are pretty tricky actually, because it's it's in mm -hmm. three, four, one, two, three, one, two, three, uh, uh, uh. So it's 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 not easy to play, um, you know, to to make it work. But the idea was 
to make it feel as natural and easy as the original riff. So when you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, this is Smoke on Water. And it you could almost sing along, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, you're exactly right. That Because when I open the track, I see all the all the tracks, and I, that's the one I listen to first, even though I listen to Out of Order. I'm like, what the heck are they going to do with this? And I'm like, yeah. oh, that's interesting. Like, it was like one of those, it was like, aha, that's different. It's very cool. And I just thought of something when you were talking about Deep Purple. Uh, your album cover has a lot of purple on it. Is that an accident, or is that um, the aesthetic accident. of the cover? Okay, yeah. just put it accident because the shirt I was wearing is sort of a plum-colored shirt. And so okay. when I designed the – I should talk about the cover because the cover is kind of unusual for a jazz oh, record. Yeah. Um, it's, it, the album is called Bam, and it's in huge letters, and it's not a very jazzy name. Um, you know, and, and the cover is me, it's the three musicians, but we're all doing weird things in, with our instruments. And one of the things that I wanted to capture that I like about the trio. And so we went to do the photo session. I wanted to capture the, this idea of the joy of the three, three kids in a sandbox that, you know, yes, we're playing jazz, but you think of jazz and you think of a dark underground basement club in New York where everyone is very serious mm -hmm. and the, you know, the colors are all dark and a lot of jazz album covers. The musician is like looking off into space thoughtfully with some cool sunglasses on holding their trumpet, you know, or them playing. And I didn't want to do any of that. And when we did the photo shoot, I had to put up a white background and I just had this vision of like, let's do weird things with our instruments. And there's amazing pictures that were taken of each guy. And when I saw that, I just started kicking right at the camera and just doing crazy stuff. And then the guys got into it and each one did the thing. So the cover is really a composite of, of a picture of each of us. Mm -hmm. But when I saw that picture of me kicking and the foot is like coming right out at you, you know, right. and I'm kicking pretty high, which I didn't even think I, it wasn't, it wasn't, none of this was intentional. It was just like, mm -hmm. let's, let's improvise, you know? Yep. Um, when I saw that photo, I was just like, bam. You know, and also my nickname in, in Royal Crown Review, the, the swing band I was in for years was Bam Bam, kind of like, you know, Bam Bam Pebbles and Bam Bam mm -hmm. from Flintstones. Uh, and it's a it's a great percussive word, obviously. And um, I think it's a great way to introduce this band on its terms, which is sort of like, bam, here we are. You know, we're not necessarily hopefully like your typical jazz band where this is our thing. Wham, bam, here it is. You know, so yeah, that, perfect. Yeah. I, and I kind of I was a little nervous about it, about the idea, about the concept. But when I started introducing it to people, everybody loved it. And um, when it came time for kind of figuring out the color scheme, I just ran with the color that was my shirt and just matched the lettering to that. And I thought purple is an irre irre irreverent color, mm -hmm. you know, and everything about it hopefully is a little bit irreverent. But also when you listen to it, you it hopefully makes sense. It all comes together, the package, you know. Yeah, the visuals make perfect sense, especially now since so, so much of our uh, music listening is on tiny little devices. Right. And if you had a really detailed portrait of the guys, it would be lost, but you have that white background and it's almost like it slaps the audience in the face. It's like, let's listen to this and you can see it on, no matter how small it is, the album still, the visuals still speak. Yeah. Bam, yeah. And yeah, your foot exactly. right there on our face. <laughs> and also, we were because we only had four months, we were under the gun for every part of this. So we had very little time to put, put the cover together once we got the photo shoot together. You know, it's like a long process, obviously. So uh, I'm just thrilled with how, how it came out, the cover. I, I just am I'm stoked. You know, I feel like 
it's something that's a great reflection of what we're about and what yep. we're trying to portray musically. Yep. All right. Now, perhaps the most aggressive sounding tune and maybe playing wise, Ladybug, um, for me anyway, <coughs> pardon me. Um, we get into some odd meter here, a little uh, seven, four vibes. Uh, and it's just an aggressive sound. Tell us about Ladybug. Well, you know, partially when we were trying to figure out repertoire to record, I sort of said to the guys, what do you got? What songs do you have? Uh, I brought some of my songs and we were trying to figure out what, you know, what other, what kind of quote unquote covers to do. I knew that I really didn't want to make this just a bunch of standards. I mean, there's so much of that. And I did, sometimes an album can feel thrown together um, where, you know, you just sort of have a little of this and a little of that. And oh, this sounds nice. This would be nice. I wanted really to have this group vibe. So, um, but this tune is is definitely, uh, is this one of, one of these things is not like the others because it's a funk. It's a straight up kind of almost like maybe a little like Herbie Hancock, Headhunters or something like that. Like kind of a jazz fusion almost. It's in seven. Um, it has a funky straight ahead groove. But I, I liked it. And, um, and I thought, you know, I actually use different drums on this song. Um, I use rock size drums. So it has, it's, it's heavy. It has a heaviness to it. Um, but at the same time, you know, the guitar player did fantastic things with it. And, you know, it's more, it's a really a nice guitar feature. I mean, what's so great about Sean, the guitarist, is that he, he has so many different bags he can go in and he could just pick up something and really run with it. And that's, you know, exciting. So he he has a heavier side and some smoke on the water and and this tune I think he brought that and then he has a jazzy side and he has a light side so he's very multidimensional and I think all of us are really I mean we we can kind of we've spent years and years as sidemen working especially I mean in cabaret you have to be able to play you have to be able to play so quietly uh, and with such finesse and with so much detail and that's what I do every Monday at Birdland you know um, you got to come up on on a Monday to check out. Yeah, I went through this summer, maybe. But it's a it's a it's also an, a great trio that is super in tune with each other, and we have to just immediately come up with something on the spot, depending on whatever the singer brings up, and that could be anything: country tune, Sarah Bareilles tune, something from Dear Evan Hansen, but then Sinatra or 1920s vibe or a little Richard. You know, I mean, it's everything every week, and mm -hmm. to be able to like, you know, really bring that authentically and with taste and finesse um, has been a great journey for me. So all the guys in the band have those kind of abilities. And so we can be, our, our sound can cover a lot of areas, but hopefully still sound like us. So speaking of Broadway, I always, when I think of a Broadway show, I think of the production, like why did they put that song there and this song here and this song there, kind of the, um, the storyboard of a Broadway show. Yeah. And it goes right back to your album, you have Ladybug in seven, rock size drums. We're really aggressive. We're in an odd meter. And then we go to the world still turns around. And it, <laughs> right. we totally changed the vibe. So tell us all about that uh, tune. Well, you know, again, um, there's a there's a story with this with the song. I wrote this song. This is a this is almost more of a pop tune. Um, I, I think of it sort of as a, as like a uh, a singer songwriter song but more like along the lines of an Elvis Costello where it's a fairly complex 
kind of of a song it's 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 got extensions on the chords seventh and ninth and eleventh and it's not it's not you know but at, the, at its essence in its form it is a pop tune it has a chorus and uh verse and chorus kind of a, a form i wrote this song originally it was supposed to be for royal crown review and then that didn't happen and a friend of mine in la is one of the top orchestrators and conductors for movies movie scores uh his name is tim davies and he as a as his side passion he had a big band of all the guys that did the sessions with him and uh what he would do is he he had a standing gig at a restaurant he for the whole big band and each time he would have a guest and he would take three or four of that guest's original material and and orchestrate it for big band do a big band chart for it and so um you know as a way to like get his orchestrating and composing and, and, and arranging chops together, you know? And um, it was an amazing thing that he would do because who the hell has a standing big band, but because he was working as uh, in that world, these guys all wanted to play with him because they were working together and he would hire them for sessions and, you know, all that. Anyway, I was the guest once and he was a drummer also, by the way. So we did some two drumming stuff and some goofy stuff like that, but he took this song and made a big band arrangement for it. And I thought, okay, I, I have a dear friend named Nicole Zoraitis here in New York who actually was nominated for a Grammy a few years ago. She's a monster singer. And I thought she was going to sing this song and I was going to do the big band arrangement. But when I got with the label, they were like, well, you know, first of all, this is your name on the record. so." why would you have somebody else on there? You know, as your first record, you should just, if it's a trio, make it a trio record. So no big man. And if you're going to do this, you should sing it. And I've sung my whole career. I've sung mostly backgrounds and I have a good ear, but I'm no lead singer. And I thought about this. Um, we ended up, this, this track was cut more recently because I'd gone through all these iterations and we decided finally, okay, we're going to do it as a trio. So then we, we we had to really think about the arrangement. I thought Sean did some really brilliant. I mean, I wanted him to kind of sound like Bill Frizzell, kind of country, but jazz at the same time. Um, so it has, it's a moody kind of a track. Um, and I, I sang it. I took, I've been studying voice since about January of this year and with the express idea of getting it together so I could sing it live and I could sing it in the studio. And it's been a real journey because it, I didn't know this, but apparently it's a hard song to sing. Like <laughs> it has a pretty broad range. Yeah, I yeah. didn't know any better. So um, anyway, yeah. Uh, and I thought, okay, you know, I, I asked the guys, does this fit with everything else we're doing? And it, it does because the trio is backing me up. There's some, there are some guitar overdubs here, several tracks of guitar. Um, and it's a very slow shuffle, very challenging to play. Um but I think it kind of turned out well. And I think it's, in, again, in this world of, of digital distribution, you can have a smoke on the water that can really connect with one kind of an audience, listening audience. You can have a world still turns around connecting with more of a pop uh, singer-songwriter audience. You can have a Bolivia connecting more with a jazz audience, straight-ahead jazz audience. And you can develop and build your uh, following and fan base that way as well. Like, there kind of are no rules. Mm -hmm. so, you know, I, and this is what I'm hoping, of course, but the, the eclecticism of what we're doing can work to our benefit, whereas sometimes I think it can be a nobody knows what category to put you in. So that's something we'll we'll see what happens. But part of my vision 
is that if I'm singing, I might be able to attract a broader audience. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully I will continue to sing and we'll have some vocal. I have another vocal tune I'm working on right now that I actually want to co-write with the guys. I'd like to do more co-writing. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with that, with the reaching a broader fan base, because now that you can set up your own playlist digitally and stuff like who knows, like two of these tracks could be in some like if there's a guitar freak out there, two of the tracks could be in that person's guitar thing. If there's a vocalist more Broadway oriented, maybe that tracks in their playlist and it can live in numerous places simultaneously, which is incredible. Exactly. Yeah, exactly right. So I, I I've always felt like my eclectic nature is both my strength and my downfall, you know, in both in terms yeah. of being a drummer and in terms of, you know, just being a creative person. Uh, but that's who I am. I And you're the same. I mean, yep. I love a really, really broad variety of stuff. And so, oh, well, deal with me on my terms. And, yep. if, you know, if I'm not known as the this guy or the that guy specifically, Okay, you know, I'm yeah things to lots of people. <laughs> right. And I think you and I have a similar thing in that that different people, different contractors, different musicians think of us as a different sort of thing. Like right. one guy thinks of you as a jazz drummer, the other guy thinks of you as a rock drummer, like whatever, or percussionist. Yeah. So and it's then amazing. People would never even consider hiring, they would never even think that we're getting hired by I tell this to my students all the time, you know, you you want somebody to think that this is all you do oh you're an amazing rock drummer i'm going to hire you at a high level for rock but then you got a whole nother series of employers that think well this is you know you play great jazz i'm gonna hire you to do jazz yeah. or man you can back up a singer like nobody's business so i'm gonna hire you for you know my cabaret thing so yep. i think that's how it's it's kind of got to be if you're going to make a living as a freelancer which sure. you know i'm certainly not making a living from this trio for a while if ever so right. you know i've but i've spent 30 years developing my career as a freelancer and the people that know me as a drum historian probably don't even realize i play modern you know, they just, <laughs> right exactly <laughs> i do the historical styles you know or that uh -huh. mission and a lecture okay great like i'll take it yep um, so the next tune on our Voyage through your album, The Crippled Waltz. Um, I just have notes down here. I'm getting it's a Brubeckian a little bit, uh, maybe some five four vibes. Yeah, that's that's when I listened to it, I was getting an ode to Dave and Joe Morello. So why don't you tell us about it? I could see that. I totally could see that. Um, yeah, so the, the this song, The Crippled Waltz, was written by my friend El Dodd, the guy that I had the record with um that I had a band with back when I lived in LA who uh, his, his, he did the arrangement of it, it Could Happen to You. Um, I always love this song because I love the, the vamp. It, it, it also kind of has this vamp that it always returns to, which is it, which might, you know, the, the, in five, one, two, three, four, five, boom, boom, ba dum bum, 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 ba dum bum, 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 ba dum bum, 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 ba dum bum, bum. Not doing it justice singing it, but um, I love, I love vamps in tunes. I love, coming back to the vamp it's to me it brings the listener back home it grounds them it gives them something to um to to lock on to and the next tune which is the last song in the record uh which is an original of mine which is um on the verge has a similar vamp um and anyway so this song i again i love odd uh, time signature so we have a we have a waltz we have a, something in five we have something in seven on this record um and this song, the bridge is in four. It goes to a four-four section, but uh, the form is is somewhat challenging. 
But I just think it's a beautiful song, and I love that 5-4 vamp, and I solo yeah. over the 5-4 vamp. So definitely there. There's a couple of little Joe Morello uh, tributes on take five. Um, and it's called The Crippled Waltz, I should mention, because if you have two waltzes, that makes six, but this is five. So if you imagine a waltz that's missing one, you know, right. <laughs> it's slightly crippled. So that that's where it comes from, is, is it's a time signature joke. Yeah, I, I, I got it. <laughs> it was good. I, I like it. Yeah, musically, it's great. So the last tune, On the Verge, what do my notes say? Uh, you know, this is probably the most modern, modern, if that's even the, the correct terminology, sounding of them. And uh, it's rocking, but it's swinging. It's kind of everything. And for this one, sometimes it just hits me and goes, it reminds me of this group. Uh, one of my other favorite drummers is Jeff Sipe. And oh. this... Yeah, this really has, for some reason, it took me to Jeff Sipes' trio because he's bass, guitar, and drums, his classic trio. Oh, yeah. And I was getting, it was almost like you uh, you talked to each other and then you went away and did your own versions of what a trio is. But it, it had like Sipe version, or Sipe vibes to me. So why don't you tell us about it? Cool. Well, this is another original of mine. Um, actually, Eldad and I co-wrote it uh, back in the day. Uh, it's an incredibly hard song to play. The vamp is in three. Uh, and my inspiration actually when I wrote it was that I'm a huge fan of the of Weather Report in general, but particularly the song Havona that I always loved. And for some reason, um, the, the vamp and the vamp in three, one, two, three. So there's that kind of thing. Um, I have a hard time playing this song. I mean, and I listen to this version and it's better than in other versions I've done. I also have a big band version of this song. Uh, I just have set myself up to play something that I find extremely freaking hard to play. <laughs> so it's like, I work on it all the time and I keep getting better at it, but I don't, I still don't feel really like it's there. Um, but then the song part itself, there's, that's the vamp that it comes back to after each chorus, right? And then we, we solo out on the end of the tune on the vamp. Um, and there's actually a fade out at the end. Oh, no, we don't. Well, we sort of fade out naturally. But um, the, the, when I wrote the melody for this, I felt I, I, the, 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 what is very modern about it is that the melody jumps around between time signatures very freely. And I decided when I wrote this, I was just feeling melody notes and notes that were stressed and hits and things like that. And then I worked out what time signature that would be in around it. You know, so sometimes that's how you write a song or an instrumental song is that you just, you hear a melody in your head and you hear the way the melody goes and it's not conforming to any particular time signature, you know? So I think that's fun. I think that might be the modern part that you're picking up on is that it 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 it's hard to just kind of tap your foot along to it and you're sort of constantly yeah. being thrown off, especially when you go to the solos. And mm -hmm. the guitar player initially really didn't like this song very much. He's like, this sounds like math to me, you know? And then it was <laughs> a little bit like math because you, right. you have to count it until you know it well enough that you can feel it, right? So, you know, we've all had those experiences. If you, I'm sure you've, like, you know, Frank Zappa music or mm -hmm. um, Weather Report, yeah. you know, just a lot of, and a lot of modern jazz today is very much like that, where it's like, you can't, unless you look at a chart, it's hard to know yeah. what's happening, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, so that's the story with that. And I, I love that we, we go out, 
the, what's nice again is that the the main melody is very obtuse and moving between the time signatures, but then you go back to that, yep. which is very grounded and very poppy almost and very easy for people to hear. So that's that's kind of what I think makes the song work is that it keeps coming back to something that, oh, okay, we're back here again. Now let's go out, now let's come back. Maybe that's the Jeff Sight part that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the yeah. album, or the end of the song, we just solo out on that, and then we just naturally fade on it. And I thought, similarly to the count off at the beginning, well, this would be nice to kind of just go out at the end of the album, you know? Yep, yeah. It's Most beautiful, it's the whole album. I just love the album, and it's Thank on you. my, uh, it's one of my playlists now, so I can have it frequently just playing when I'm in the car and stuff. And um, so every, tell us the name of the album again for the listeners. Where can they get it? Where can they find out about you? Great. Okay. So the album is, it's my name, the Daniel Glass Trio. The album is called BAM, B-A-M exclamation point. And uh, just in case, you know, BAM wasn't bammy enough. Uh, so it's very <laughs> simple to remember. It's one syllable. Um, and uh if people go to my website, danielglass.com, there's a link. They can link to the page. Uh, there's a special page for the record that um, has uh, links to where you can listen on any streaming platform. So it's on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, uh, Google or Amazon Music, Deezer platforms. I don't even know what they are, but somebody knows about what they are. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's on every, every streaming platform. And you just put in the Daniel Glass Trio. Um, one thing I will say is that um, we we had this wonderful CD release concert at Birdland, where I've been the house drummer every Monday for 12 years. And um, we sold out the room downstairs, which I was very happy about. It, it was a very friend and family oriented crowd, obviously, people that have, have, have never seen me lead a band before. I've never seen this group. And we were able to record the whole thing, uh, multi-track recording and several really nice high quality camera shots. So I'm going to be releasing some, we played all this material live, of course, and we have a new opener that I put together, which I'm so excited to record and I'll share it with you now. Um, in keeping with the Deep Purple thing, uh, I, I've always loved the song, um, I Feel Free by Cream. I don't know if you mm -hmm. know that tune. And the tune kind of has a natural, like, I think they sort of wanted a Latin thing, doing the chicka, doing the chicka, doing. But it also feels like a gospel feel, with the hand claps and it's kind of up tempo. So we sort of did this. I started the whole show by walking in playing gospel tambourine that at this, like, kind of a seance or a ritual, a religious ritual of some kind, bring in the audience in, I come up on stage. And from that, we go from the tambourine slowly into this tune. And um, I'm just super excited to record it. And I want to do a lot of other arrangements like that, uh, where we, again, really put our own stamp on it. And um, it's exciting. So, yeah, wait. Yeah. So anyway, but there'll, there'll be some video of, of all of those things uh, of the concert. And I also actually have video of, of of the actual recordings we did in the studio that I have to put together. And that's all part of the digital distribution. Those things will be slowly rolling out. So follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. My uh, business page on Facebook is Daniel Glass, drummer, author, educator. People probably know some of the videos I put out over the years, the historical drum videos that are, you know, I find in the odd corners of the interwebs. But uh, um, yeah. And, and as soon as I get the videos and get them on that page, I'm going to start formally booking the band and really going after it to get some 
to, to, to try to develop Great. more, more shows and stuff. So that's right. what I'm going to say. And I thank you, Sean, so much for taking the time to listen. You know, there's so much noise and so many recordings flying around and I really, mm-hmm. you took time to actually really listen and, and, and give it a serious listen is I'm, I'm honored and grateful. Well, thank you, Daniel. And thank you uh, for all your great music, your friendship, support, and just being out there for us, making some, uh, making the world better with your joyful music. So, and thanks again for being a guest on the podcast. And I hope I see you down the road somewhere soon. I, I know, we're not that far apart. Thanks for listening to this episode of Backstage at the Enharmonic. I'm your host, Sean J. Kennedy. If you like what you heard today, please check out all of the other episodes at Backstage at the Enharmonic, which are music business related. We have lots of interviews with musicians, composers, conductors, people involved with production, etc. And also, if you could give us a star, a thumbs up, or a nice comment, that would be appreciated as well. Thanks for listening.